it's grinding through the 20 proposals every single week. I had the sticky apps on my MacBook on the left side of my screen. And every Sunday I'd reset it to 20. And I didn't allow myself to go out with friends or whatever until that number was zero at the end of the week. Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Happy Thursday morning. Welcome back to the podcast. Stick around to the end of this one. I'm going to try and share more sort of day-to-day business learnings. So I have a a little tip about productizing done-for-you services and how that's working out for us in one of our current businesses. But today, an interesting episode for you guys. We are pretty public about our email addresses. And over the years, we've had ambivalent relationships to email volume and and how much time to spend on it and so on. But the reality is, is having that open front door, sometimes a pearl drops in there or into the team Slack channel. And so it was with today's guest who sent us a very cool Loom video saying how excited he was to finally join the Dynamite Circle after years of listening to this very podcast while at a corporate job. And to cap it all off, he's just moved to the very fine city of Austin, Texas. Hey, DC team, uh, just want to record a little video for the anything else you'd like to share a section of the application. Uh, honestly, just feels super surreal to even uh, be making this video. I thought it would be cool to give them a call because the theme of these early 2021 episodes have been getting started as an entrepreneur. We thought, why not invite that person? His name is Sam Hill onto the pod to share the precise steps he made to make that transaction. When you've got an idea in your head that maybe what you're doing isn't quite right for you, how do you make that transition to running the type of business that you imagine in your mind? And it turned out to be a really interesting story involving lots of other Loom videos, some hardcore Upwork hustle, which I think is a really interesting strategy and something we're particularly interested in because we hope people will someday do similar hustles on our very own job board, Dynamite Jobs. And honestly, if you're just looking for inspiration from an awesome guy, today's show is full of actionable insights. So let's get started with Sam's story, sitting in that place familiar to so many of us, at the desk of a well-paid but deeply unsatisfying J-O-B. So five years ago, I was working for PricewaterhouseCoopers in their mergers and acquisition consulting practice. I'd gone to business school, you know, spend 100K on your MBA. I went to Vanderbilt in Nashville, had an incredible time for two years. You know, the money is great for a graduating MBA student. I mean, I was 27, 28 at the time. And then... Yeah, six months in, I just knew that this was not for me. Why? I personally think I've always had this innate sense of that I wasn't going to be truly happy unless I owned my own business, that I was fully responsible for my own destiny. I remember when I was like eight years old, 
when most people are cutting yards, I, I was doing the the same thing, but I wrote this like 10 page point system and distributed it to everybody in my neighborhood. And of course, you know, no one responded because I was, you know, eight or 10 years old and had written this whole plan that made absolutely no sense. But, you know, if you got enough rewards, then you got a free cut or free like bush trimming or weeding or, or, or whatever. And I kind of think back on those little moments here and there. So I was at PwC and, you know, frankly, one of the things that got me over the hump was Tropical MBA podcast. Seriously, like, you know, I was around a lot of people that were always in the corporate environment and just interested in being partners at the firm that just did not appeal to me. In a lot of ways, I felt alone. Like none of my close friends were entrepreneurs. A couple of them have since become that. And so I started planning my exit. I got a life coach because I didn't really know what else to do. And so every Friday on my walk to work, I was living in Atlanta at the time, we would chat. And I created this whole Google sheet with a step-by-step plan of like, well, here is the date you need to sell your car. Here is the date you need to create your Upwork profile. Here's the date like you probably need to tell your parents that you're going to move abroad. Like all these different steps. And that made it seem so much more tangible once I got that on paper. And so I ended up staying at the firm for two years. I think what's remarkable about what you're laying out here is that, I mean, on the one hand, you can say, oh, you're super capable, you're smart, you're just going to walk out to second base, you're going to be fine. <laughs> but on the other hand, you could say there's a, like a popular thinking that suggests, well, you're making a lot of money. You've already invested in this career. You got a bunch of friends who are buying houses and driving Audis and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, that's kind of hard to like basically say, I'm going to like go against all this and work for many years and probably be a lot broker. I'm looking at my Google sheet and the first bullet point is hardest hurdles. And the first sub bullet is complacency. I think at the end of the day, it's all about pain. And the pain for me is like, all right, well, when I'm 90 years old, am I going to be, you know, talking to my grandkids about, oh, they're like, you know, slowly progressed through the firm and I made it? Or am I going to be able to say, no, I'm like super proud of that I progressed through all this and went through that hardship to get to this point, whatever that point ends up being? I think most importantly, it's just kind of finding your why. Whether it's, you know, or is it to spite a girl? Is it that you just want extra cash? Was it to spite a girl in your, in your case? So I knew that you were going to ask me what my whys were. And <laughs> the three that I wrote down is my 85-year-old self, a few women that broke my heart, <laughs> and <laughs> the deep sense that I would never be happy until I owned my own business. Those, are, those have really been my three whys. But the important thing, too, is it doesn't have to be the same why at all times. The women that broke your heart, they can take you for a few months, and then that'll fizzle out, and you need to find something else. doesn't matter. There's too many whys out there. You just need to find yours and, and embrace that. Now, don't worry. We're going to fill in the very practical dots about how Sam moved on from the whys into the hows. But first, I wanted to ask him to fill us in on his current business that he's building, which is about two years old. The name of the business is Ecom CFO. 
Uh, we have a handful of clients that we service in a lot of different ways. We deliver outsourced CFO and financial operations to e-commerce brands. That's what the business and tagline is today. <laughs> Can you give me like a, a hard sales pitch for why listeners of the show want to use your service or who would it be good for? There's so many other outsourced CFO and bookkeeping companies out there. And not to say that some of them don't do a great job, but the deeper I go into the e-com niche, the more validation that we've gotten from the market and that there are very few firms exclusively focused on e-commerce. Like there's some highbrow firms that have like a SaaS department and an e-commerce department and like a services department and all that. But I've decided to niche down as much as possible and solely focus on e-commerce. Last year we did almost $300,000 in revenue. So I am trying to build, and, and this is again, why I'm so thankful for the podcast, but you had Jim Huffman on and I was in my car and I go, holy shit, I have to talk to Jim Huffman because <laughs> <laughs> everything that <laughs> I'm serious, I'm serious. Like he and I have kind of similar backgrounds and that he was an investment banker. I was in consulting. He was looking around the room going, I don't want to do this. And I want to be the actual entrepreneur and not the person selling the the thing. And his business model growth hit, the way in which he's building it is exactly what I want in two years. Just want to warp in here to say that uh, Jim Huffman, who was recently on the show, founded Growth Hit, which is self-described as an agency that performs data-driven growth experiments for Shopify, e-commerce, SaaS, and lead generation companies. Of course, we'll link up to that episode in the show notes. Now, back to Sam. That has become the model. And it was the day after that podcast, I cold emailed him and sent him a Loom video. <laughs> Because I cannot recommend Loom enough. I can probably attribute at least $150,000 of revenue to that single tool. It grabs people's attention. How do you use it? Help me make money. Help us all make money with Loom right now. Let's take sales out of it for a second and just operationally. You know, everybody hates meetings. No one's listening. Everybody's doing other stuff, especially because everyone's remote, blah, blah, blah. The asynchronous communication ability with Loom for me to be able to record and pack in directions, information, anything to my team or to a current client is incredible. And it's a huge time saver. I'm from Alabama. Sometimes I ask them to watch it on 1.5 because I talk really slow. <laughs> But yeah, that's the operation side. So that's been absolutely massive. But the, the other side has been sales and sending Loom videos to prospective clients to give yourself just a personal touch and be able to make it as close to face-to-face -face interaction as humanly possible. Again, as has changed the game for me. So the bottom line is like, I'm thinking about how I might use it, say at DJ, like someone sends me over an inquiry that's like, Hey, I'm looking for a marketing manager, like in, you know, Estonia, is, is that something you can help with? And like, rather than 
responding and saying, Hey, sure. I can help out here. Like, you know, schedule a meeting or whatever. I respond with a loom video saying, you know, I've hired two people in Estonia before, like, you know, here's our process. You're going to, we're going to hand you off to Greg. Greg's been doing this for 10 years, blah, blah, blah. People get a lot more information about who you are and what you're doing through that than they would through the email kind of situation. Oh, a hundred percent. And just being able to cut through the noise too of if 50 people send emails, doesn't matter how great the emails are, doesn't matter how clear and concise they are. But if you're the one that sends the video, you immediately go to the top of whatever pile. Yeah. And case in point in this podcast, you sent us a Loom video when you applied for the DC and within five minutes of you applying, our community manager dropped it into our Slack group. So now like the 10 people that are like DC adjacent that monitor the community, they all saw your application. They all know who you are. They all know the story now <laughs> just because of the, the freaking Loom video. It's genius. Loom video. I'm serious. And you know, on the flip side too, for some of my team members or contractors that I've hired in the past, especially if they're in a different time zone, I had this amazing woman in the Ukraine that built some financial models for me. I paid for her Loom subscription. And I was like, whenever you're done, you know, you're five hours ahead of me or whatever, just send me a Loom video walkthrough. Don't care if your English is not perfect. Just walk me through the, your process, what you did and what you still have left to do. Instead of her trying to send an email or Slack note or whatever, it just saves so many people so much more time. Everyone out there that is serious about productivity, and I know there's a lot of you, you're going to love this one. Today's episode is sponsored by Woven.com. Woven is an all-in-one calendar that helps you manage and blend both your work and personal lives enabling you to spend time on what matters the most. Yeah, squeezing the most productivity out of your hours. With Woven, you can sync all of your calendars in one place, including Google Suite integration, as well as Microsoft integration. You can create and use scheduling links from directly within your calendar. So no need for third-party scheduling apps. You can rapidly time block your week using smart templates, and the best part is you can track your time and gain insights into your week with built-in analytics. Woven makes it easy to plan, join, and manage video events, helping you schedule with Zoom or Google Hangouts. And with multiple time zone integrations, Woven is ideal for remote workers and productivity hackers. They also have apps across iOS, web, iPad, and Microsoft. In fact, I learned today that many podcasters actually use Woven for handling the guest booking and recording parts of their show. So in short, Woven is like a calendar for power users and those who are serious about their productivity, allowing you both to schedule time with others and protect that productive maker time for yourself, all while giving you analytics about it all. Very cool stuff. Check them out over at woven.com. And a huge thanks to the folks at Woven for sponsoring the show. Let me just back you up to, I love this concept of like the life coach and the spreadsheet and like breaking down what looks like an enormous hole to have to scale out of, which is like, I make a big check every week going to this job and now I'm trying to do it for myself. I understand your motivation. I understand some of the process of like breaking it down into individual acts. Looking back on it, were there key things that you did that made a big difference? Yeah. And, and, 
I want to step back and actually answer your question about pragmatic approaches because this is what really changed the game for me. It was so easy for me to go on Upwork or Catalan or pick your favorite freelancing platform and look at all the freelancers that had billed fifty, a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars to the platform who are ranking on the first page, and you go, "Well, how the hell am I going to compete with them?" I'm looking at my profile and I have zero reviews, <laughs> zero projects. And how do I start? It's super overwhelming. These people must have some crazy like advantage or thing that I don't know. I started to look way too much outwardly and not enough inwardly. I don't know if I'm phrasing that right, but you get the point. So the thing that helped me the most, and I've given this recommendation to a couple other people that have asked me recently is I documented everything that I've ever done from work stuff, side projects, business school projects. And I tried to pull out the key elements that like actually drove value for that project. Doesn't matter what it is. Once I built that big inventory of stuff, then I put it into a presentation. I'm not a designer by any means. And I tried to just write in a few sentences, okay, what was the problem? What were the results that I delivered? You know, is that client happy? Try to quantify it as much as possible. And then I gave that to a designer and said, hey, can you make this pretty? <laughs> then I had, you know, 15 slides-ish of really pretty quality work that I had done in a, you know, a number of different areas, it wasn't all the same. And I said, okay, cool, I can go to market with this. And then before I knew about Loom, when I would submit like a proposal on Upwork, I would submit that deck and, you know, so many people commented on that to say, Hey, you know, no one else provided this. Thank you for, you know, all this in-depth experience. And, you know, you got to tailor it to, of course, what project you're submitting for. But what's interesting though, is that when a lot of people think about, you know, becoming an entrepreneur, they think about big ideas. They don't think about going to Upwork and sending out decks to people. Yeah. Again, I wrote this in my, I have eight guiding principles here, but in the fourth bullet here is understanding and embracing who you are. I forgot what book it's from, but there's the visionary and integrator. I am not a visionary. I'm very much an integrator and I've had to just embrace that over the years and understand who I am and what I'm capable of and, and what I'm good at and what I'm not. And so I have no illusion that I'm going to start the next billion dollar SaaS company. And that's never really been me. It's not to say that there's not some technology offshoot ideas that I've thought of for Ecom CFO that I'm super excited about. And we've been in the process of building, but at its core, like I'm just, I'm not going to come up with the next Uber. Well, it's also a stair-step approach. This idea that you're going to go to B-School, work a year as a consultant, and then bam, start a SaaS company with like... And it happens all the time. You go get 100 grand from a rich uncle, and you hire a bunch of people in another country, and you got a good idea. Use your case as the alternative. You have $300,000 a year cash flow. You got a bunch of wealthy people using your service, and you have a bunch of immediately profitable tools that you can build that will at least at minimum reduce your operational expense, but possibly you could sell to other people when you start building software for your own stuff. So 
this is the way it, it gets done. Yeah, exactly. And again, that was tangentially related to what I was doing. And I get that some people go off and have this other crazy idea to do whatever. And sometimes it works. It's rare. And part of the reason I have guys like Jim on and guys like you or people like Jim and people like you is to try and show the bones of how it happens. Because I think part of what I was sharing the last few weeks is like, this stuff was pretty mystical to me. You know, when I saw other people yeah. doing it, I was like, oh, shit. like I can hardly like tolerate my job. <laughs> How am I going to be able to start a business, you know, and travel and and not work, you know, (laughs) like, well, it's not, it's not really stair step. It's more how Ray Dalio describes it in principles that it's a loop and you have the upward trajectory and then you get hit back down. And then you're assuming that the loop is going up and to the right. It's much more of a loop, I think, than a, than a stair step. How long did it take for you to like make a comfortable living within your own based principles, following your heart? Was that a struggle or was that something that fell into place relatively easy for you? No, it definitely wasn't easy. I would say 90% of my customer acquisition in... 2019 and most i would say probably at least the first quarter of 2020 was upwork period it gets back to math it's are you submitting 20 proposals per week and how many of those proposals are you getting responses scheduling calls and ultimately closing the deal i looked at the number of jobs that were available on upwork and you know it's a little convoluted because they're not all you know real jobs or they're they stay on the platform for 20 days or whatever. But if you just look at the jobs, you know, that are let's say less than 10 days old, there are a lot of jobs in every dimension. So yeah, it's grinding through the 20 proposals every single week. I had the sticky apps on my MacBook on the left side of my screen and Every Sunday, I'd reset it to 20. And then throughout the week, I would backspace it and go, well, now it's at 18. Now it's at 12. Now it's at 10. And I didn't allow myself to go out with friends or go to bed or whatever until that number was zero at the end of the week. And that took several months to to get traction and start actually closing business, get comfortable with you know, there's a bunch of quirks on Upwork. I mean, we could have a whole other podcast on Upwork, but to actually answer your question, I would say I replaced probably 70 to 80% of my income within nine months, but I was also working my ass off. Like there was no, oh, this is easier than working at the firm. No, I worked maybe not way more, but definitely more working for myself as a freelancer than I did at the firm, but I cared a hell of a lot more too. And I was doing all those things to, okay, well, I made, I made this financial model. How can I make this a template? How can I you know, update my profile to better attract other clients? And then eventually you're getting invites and you don't have to submit as many proposals. I mean, it's just, that is the grind. And that is the work that no one tells you about until you just do it. Finance 
on Upwork and freelancing on fi- in finance, I think is different because it's not as tangible as, oh, I need you to create this graphic. I need you to create this image or I need you to update these slides. Like, no, it's I need you to build a financial model for the viability of my company and my livelihood. Run me through those other eight principles real quick and maybe we'll pull out one. So number one, this comes from Ray Dalio principles. Can't recommend that book enough. Also have a lot of just podcast specific things that I want to tell you about and just fanboy out a little bit at some point. So I don't know how much time we have for that. But the principles that I wrote is you can do anything, but you can't do everything. Yes, you can go to Bali. Yes, you can live on a thousand bucks. But if you have clients that depend on you in the US, good luck building your business successfully from Bali. There are too many different ways to make money online to not enjoy what you're doing at least 80% of the time. Three, this is a Jordan Peterson mantra, comparing yourself to your yesterday and not someone else's today. That's been massive for me. I mean, I deleted my Instagram three years ago, partly from the podcast with Cal Newport, Digital Minimalism. That put me over the edge. That has totally changed the game for me. Number four, just embracing and understanding who you are. We had kind of already talked about that, like visionary versus integrator. Doesn't mean you can't change. Just got to be brutally honest with yourself. Number five, location and people matter. You and Ian have talked about this a ton. The universe slash market doesn't owe you anything. I was being billed out at 350, 375 an hour at the firm. Translate that to Upwork. If you list yourself as 375 an hour, 400 bucks an hour, you will get zero responses. Zero. That was very humbling. And I, I think I started like 45 bucks an hour and slowly worked my way up. The universe doesn't care about your corporate controller or that you were a consultant or investment banker or whatever. Like that is a totally different world and it doesn't play in entrepreneur land. You don't have to decide on everything right now. It's okay that you don't have, again, the tax plan or what happens if I need to hire this general manager or other contractor. You will solve that problem when the time comes. Yeah, like the problems you're facing are hard enough that you don't need to like have the general anxiety. In fact, kind of what I'm hearing through your principles is this sense of, and what I love about your story so far as you've laid it out is, you as an individual who wants to become an entrepreneur, you have to have thrust. You have to be able to like move the football forward. And like Instagram, all this bullshit, it doesn't matter. Like you can have a handful of clients on one channel and you can make a living for yourself and a handful of others just by having thrust. This is like a 10 true clients business model, essentially. Absolutely. And and I want more than I want more than 10 clients. I mean, we're trying to acquire 10 clients this year. And you know, we'll see how it scales from there. We might have to revisit you at some point and see kind of how your journey goes along because I really love the Upwork hustle. That's something I'm really big into. We're doing that at Dynamite Jobs. We're building like a Fiverr sort of marketplace there. And it comes back to the conversation we were having earlier, this idea that you have to like build your own channel and like build your own website and market it and all this stuff. It's so expensive. There are clients out there on platforms. That's why people, a lot of people come to DC events because the clients are all there, right? And they're, they're also cool. 
But there is that element of like, I don't need to like build a website and run campaigns. I just need to shake some hands of some cool people and like, I'll figure it out, you know? Oh, I had no website. All I had was that deck and a decent proposal. I hope that you'll run your service off of DJ as well so that people searching for financial services on our platform, like your, your business would come up as well as an option. I was looking on, so I had gone on Dynamite Jobs before, but I didn't see an area to post that. But yeah, just let me know where and I will absolutely do that. And of course, help you guys in any way possible from all my lessons learned from Upwork because there's, there's a lot of them. I definitely feel like the balance uh, of debt is in my court because, like I said, (laughs) I'm listing off like ten things that the TMBA has provided me. Yeah, let's let's go through them as quickly as possible, or things that you think the other listeners would enjoy hearing. Yeah, I mean, Cal Newport is a no-brainer, and I'd been thinking about deleting my Instagram and Facebook and everything. And the one thought I had on that is, it's only going to get harder to delete your Instagram. Because you just get more and more pictures and more and more connections. And, oh, well, how am I going to keep up with whoever and their baby? The way you're going to keep up with them is you're going to pick up the phone and call them. Or you're not. And if you don't, that's okay. They probably weren't that great a friend to you. Just the concept of SWAS. I mean, you guys had the Hub Snacks guy on not too long ago. That really got me thinking about, like, okay, well... There's no single platform that I can attach my business to. QuickBooks is not the answer because founders don't understand QuickBooks. But what if I were to attach a SWAS to a business function like finance? So can I say, hey, if it touches the P&L and balance sheet, we do it. And I've been really testing that messaging and trying to understand what that would look like for my business. So you mean hooking your service into a like software process that essentially happens in their business right now? Right. Not necessarily a software process, just a process. If it has anything to do with finance, we do it, period. For And here's your monthly fee. And we don't have to have this scope conversation of, well, do you fill out these forms? Or like, will you talk to the tax person for me or, or whatever? I would rather just pull that into our sphere of control, say that we do it, build that trust and value, and just handle it. We may learn something new and can apply that to, to other clients. And it's, yeah, I think that's, uh, that's played for the last three or four months. And Jim... It sounds like Jim was like your precedent case. These things are so complicated when you can see it embodied in one person and and what they've done. You can say, I can do that. You know, I can be like that. Well, and Jim was very graceful. Jim, if you're listening again, I really appreciate everything that you continue to do for me. Yeah, he, you know, shared some of the Gantt charts and like what they show clients and just created a mental model for me. And I mean, a lot of his clients are kind of my ideal client as well. They're in that like 2 to $20 million range. Final question. I'll toss it out to Sam. This has been a real pleasure. It's so cool to connect with you. You joined the DC. Super cool. You sent the Loom video and you moved to Austin, Texas. <laughs> I mean, you're on a freaking roll here. What's your impression, first impressions of the life in Austin, Texas? Man, Austin has been everything that I could have ever asked for and more despite COVID. 
it's the perfect all around city. I hate to say that because that's just going to incentivize more people to move here. The community here, the general vibe, the food, the outdoor scene, it's unmatched in the U.S., period. I've enjoyed it here. I mean, we signed a short-term lease and are now about to sign a much longer lease and actually plant a flag here. Well, Sam, uh, I'm glad you're planting a flag, man. And I'm glad you came by the show to share your story. We appreciate it. Oh my gosh. I cannot be more thankful of you guys and just, again, really appreciate it and hope to see you in person very, very soon. Big shout out to Sam Hill. What a pleasure to meet him. Check out all that he's building over at ecomcfo.co. And I'd love to have Sam back on the show in the future so we can follow along with his narrative. Also, we weren't able to air today a lot of interesting ideas he has about common financial problems that entrepreneurs get involved in, plus some like nuts and bolts of this Upwork hustle stuff. So lots more to talk to Sam about. Uh, Maybe reach out to him with a Loom video if you're curious. We appreciate him taking the time to join us today. But to talk about the uh, power of Loom, why not? It clearly worked to bring this episode together. It works for Sam and his business. And of course, we love to receive your voicemails, your emails, your Loom recordings. We take it all. I got to say, you know, one of the reflections on this and part of the reason I'm thinking about just going from an unrealized idea to something that's actually reality is something happening in this community every single day. And uh, I just wanted to you know, Ian and I did a few weeks of like these very theoretical episodes, like we're talking into, you know, the ether, but there's actually thousands and thousands of listeners to this podcast that are taking concrete steps towards building wonderful businesses. And I thought it was really cool to share one of those stories today. I promised at the top of the episode, I would share uh, a little something, a little concrete tip that's really been working out for us. And I think there's an opportunity for a lot of you that run services to experiment with a high-priced, completely concierge, white-glove, done-for-you service option that's a flat fee in your company. And the example that, that I've learned from is posted currently at dynamitejobs.com slash remote-recruiting. And if you go there now, you see it's the sales pages. It's not that great. You know, I'm not... It has taken me a lot of time to create this sales page, but it's still, there's so much room to improve. And sales pages just take a freaking long time to do. I'm sure a lot of you can relate. It seems like this simple thing. You're just going to sit down and type away. And in reality, especially with services, what you're actually doing is you're sort of creating something new in the world. And, And as you type sentences, you're either introducing or taking away costs and trying to figure out timelines and how it's all going to work. And, and so these sales pages are a little bit more complex than they appear on the surface. But then the other side of it is they have to be simple or otherwise your potential prospects have a hard time taking action. So I just want to give you a story of this kind of accidental productized service. What we were essentially doing earlier in 2020 was, you know, we were posting jobs for people and then we would do like these tack on services like, oh, if you want us to promote your job or, you know, we really know that you should probably be posting this job at like this other job board 
that you don't know about, or it needs to go into this Facebook group to get maximum traffic, or do you want us to like filter? And again, when you're posting a job, nothing is quite that simple, right? It's like even constructing the the job post is something of a sales letter. How do you position it? What are candidates looking for? What are the right salary levels? How do you get maximum number of applications? It goes on and on and on. And it just gets more complicated when you start interviewing people. Somewhere around July, we were just like, well, okay, we just had this phone call where we explained all the strategy to you. And we were sometimes a little bit frustrated that our clients weren't putting a little bit more effort into it. But look, I understand, like you're busy running a business. And so we started this thing where we would say, like, look, we can do all this for you, all this complexity. And we realize this person's really important to you and you don't want to spend a month on it. And you don't want your top people to spend a month on it. So how about we just do it for you? You know, it'll be 5,000 bucks. And we started to present this idea to clients like, look, if this is too complicated for you to, you know, use our database or to post jobs or whatever, and you want to, get this thing rolling, just pay us. And it just started taking off. And I call it kind of like accidental because that wasn't really our intention. But we put a price in front of people when we weren't solving the problem and said, well, if you want that problem solved, just pay us forty six fifty, and like we will solve that problem for you. Like we've done the math. It works out on our side. If it works out for you, you know, I mentioned because like there's potentially an option for you and your business to take your product and figure out what that high level done for you version of it is. So this is kind of cool. Like it's a little bit of uh, Ian and I's theories about productized service and different levels of that sort of coming out into a reality in our own business. And so I wanted to share that with you guys in case you have any tips for us or ideas or just to keep the narrative going along, because I think there's going to be a lot of change here in the coming months. So I wanted to share that little tip for you. It's been remarkable because I guess, you know, had you asked me about this, of course, like a year ago, I don't know what I would have said about it. It's worked in a way that previous service offerings I've been involved in weren't so great, but this thing seems to be going pretty good. So I want to share that with you guys. Um, More updates on that shortly. Uh, A little bit of insider stuff, but why not? I hope today's episode uh, sparked some ideas in you to build a better business. So, uh, That's it. We'll be back next Thursday morning. As always, Eastern Time. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.